instructions. He sees it as truth because he is the word, and he puts it into action and actually does what he says he's going to do. I mean, this is the great thing about our God, is the promises that he's made, he's always kept. The things that he said, he's always done. He's continuously been faithful to what he says he's going to do. I mean, think, think for a moment, some of you who are well along in age, maybe you can relate better now that you're well along in age to the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God had promised, made this promise about blessing them and giving them uh, uh, you know, kids that are going to continue on in this inheritance that God has given, and they're 90 plus years old. God, are you really going to do this? I mean, 90 years of my life you've been saying this, but... But you're coming down to this moment, aren't I too old for that? And yet God continued to prove himself faithful. I mean, even today, God still proves himself faithful. And so that's why when we study his word, we, have to, we see it as the truth, and we decide, I'm going to be obedient to Christ because he's been faithful to always speak the truth and always walk in the truth. So when we read these first four verses of chapter 6, you keep in mind that as we get to the, the passage on prayer next week, and we get to verse 10 where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But really the central point of the Sermon on the Mount is that particular verse. That the things that are being done on earth will reflect what is being done in heaven. That God's will will be on display here on earth, though, it's, though there are signs of brokenness and corruptness everywhere, that there are enemies to God and people in rebellion against God everywhere, still as the people who are obedient to Christ, who have been forgiven of, of our sins because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, because of him receiving the wrath upon himself, we get to put on display the character of God for the rest of the world to see. It's so easily he could do that without you. So easily God could make his presence known without you. Yet, he chooses to use us for his glory. He could reconcile the world to himself without needing you or I to do that. But instead, he gives us the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation that we might be able to put on display the character of God so that other people may, may see that and begin to recognize and begin to worship God and God alone. So this, this moment where we're reading these verses about giving we have to remember the character of God, who God is, what he's done for you, what he's doing for you, what he's going to do for you. And then our giving becomes different. Then our righteousness is different. It's not dependent upon our actions, but instead it's dependent upon the actions of the Father. When we, when we begin to get that, then we begin to give differently. Let's read together verses 1 through 4, and then we'll break it down together. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So in this moment, as Matthew is writing to Jewish people, people of Jewish background, uh, we know that righteousness could be defined in three different aspects. Righteousness could be defined by your giving, by almsgiving, by your prayer, and by your fasting. And if you look in chapter 6, we have those three things right off the bat. Giving, prayer, and fasting. So Jesus is pointing our minds towards, pointing these that are in the hearing that are of Jewish descent, pointing them towards what does righteousness look like? 
Well, we know, as if you're a Jewish person, you know, well, righteousness looks like this. to say, I'm going to prove I'm a righteous person by the way that I give, by my almsgiving, by the way that I pray, and by the way that I fast. Well, we, we could ask that same question today as people who follow Jesus, who claim to be righteous. What is it that you're pointing towards to prove your righteousness? I mean, I'm a fifth grader in, in Colorado City, Texas, and my righteousness was proved by my attendance to Sunday school. By my lying on the, on the chart of how many times I read the Bible during the week. By my lying on the chart on how many times I prayed during the week. How many times I uh, invited people to church because that's on the chart too. How many times I, uh, you know, I, I gave or how much I, I gave. It was all on the chart, all on the Sunday school envelope. Proving my righteousness. See, I am righteous, Miss Fifth Grade Sunday School Teacher. And she confirmed it. You are righteous. You're so righteous. Here's God's word for you to read it even more. And gave me, gave me a Bible as a reward. Wait a minute. That's not the reward I'm looking for. How, how do you prove your righteousness today? My hope is that as you study scripture, you see that you can only prove your righteousness through Jesus Christ. None of your actions can prove it at all. Yet we get caught up in that. And that's why Christ preaches the sermon. To remind us of our righteous acts, to remind us of our unrighteous acts, to remind us what righteousness really looks like. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I mean, this is a hard issue, a heart issue. This is an issue of desiring to be praised by people on this earth rather than seeking the approval of God. I mean, this is the issue, this is the, the problem that we're faced with every day. But don't you see how great I am? Don't you see how well I fix my hair? Don't you see how well-dressed I am? Don't you recognize how many pull-ups I can do and how many push-ups I can do? Don't you see my wisdom? Don't you see my love, my mercy? And right now I'm just talking about Brian. I mean, you see all those things, right? I mean, that's the thing we battle with every day. Don't you see how great I am? Psalm 115, the psalmist directs our attention it's not about how great we are. It's about how great God is. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. How many times do we fight that daily? Not to you, O oh Lord, not to you, O oh Lord, but to me be all the glory. I mean, we are at battle against ourselves. We want self-glorification. We want to be praised by, by our peers. We want people to recognize how great we are. And in that, we try and perform these righteous acts. We try and prove this, see how great I am. And maybe my hope is this, that none of you are this way. And that as I read this and studied this and prepared this message, listening to the Lord, my hope is this, that this was only for me and that I'm the only unrighteous person in this room, and that the rest of you are righteous and can hold me accountable. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, we live in a reward-based society. Work this many hours, but at the end of it, we're going to give you a reward for working, however small or large it may be. And at the end of the year, depending on how great our company did, we're going to give you a, a Christmas bonus or a bonus at the end of the year to prove how great you are and how satisfied we are in your work. I mean, even just this week in, in the paper that came out just this week in our, in our own little city here, we're, we're praising about how satisfactory our city manager 
has done and the commissioners get together and they decide upon it and they come up and they measure it and say he has done a satisfactory job. We're looking for approval and praise of men. And Christ begins to mold and shape our heart and transform us into the likeness of him and begin to reveal, he begins to reveal what the character of God is. Do we see God trying to claim his own praise? Do we see God acting and then telling people, hey, this is who I am? Or do we see God acting in people's lives and then people being impacted by his life and saying, look how incredible my Savior is. Look how incredible my God is. Verse 2 says this, So thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets. This little reminder here as you read through the book of Matthew. Oftentimes when Matthew records hypocrite, it's synonymous with Pharisee. So, so when Jesus is talking about the hypocrites, he's talking about the, these religious rock stars we call the Pharisees, who everyone wanted to be like because of how righteous they seemed, because of how perfect they seemed, because of how religious they seemed. So everyone wanted to be like them. If you're a religious person, you want to be like the Pharisees. Yet Christ continuously called them hypocrites, called them actors, called them people who put on masks and get on the stage and seek the approval of men with a mask on and then walk off the stage, take off the mask, and be someone completely different. We mentioned it last week. It's like counterfeit lives. It's like I'm going to try and prove to you that I'm something but in reality, that's not who I, that's not who I am. See, there's this kind of this dichotomy in life, this separation where, uh, for, for years and for generation after generation, this dichotomy happened in the Christian life where we say one thing on Sunday, but then live completely different the rest of the week. There's this saying that you've heard before, be the moon, reflect the sun. It's on t-shirts and bumper stickers and some of you are writing it down right now. Oh, that's good. But you know, if the moon is a liar, I mean, when you only see half the moon and the dichotomy is happening, and we only see a half of a moon, it's lying to us. The whole moon is there. It's deceiving you. It's putting on a show. It's not showing you what's reality. And so many of us are that way. We want to try and prove our righteousness. We want you to see us. Look how great we are. Look how righteous I am. But in reality, we walk off the stage, take off the mask, and we're somebody completely different and Christ is looking for people that he is forgiven of their sins people who have called him Lord who are desiring to be transformed into his likeness that their character on stage or off stage their character always resembles Christ that's what he's looking for Verse 2 again, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Think for a moment here. Think, think about a police car or a fire truck or an ambulance. And they get a call about a need. And what do they do? They jump in their police car, they jump in the ambulance, they jump in the fire truck, they start the engine and they take off towards the place where the need needs to be met. And what do they do? They turn their sirens on. 
for the world to know, hey, look at me. I'm going to meet a need. When I was on the volunteer fire department, that was the best thing about being in the fire truck. I rode on the, in the shotgun position, and on the floor there's a little button that you push, and it sounds that, uh, that, that train horn so that when you come to the stop sign or the, or the one stoplight in Idaho, Texas, you can hit that train horn, and everybody knows, and everybody's hearing you, and, uh, and I'm sitting there just like, oh, I hope people see me. Look how incredible. I'm going to meet a need. And everybody's looking, the sirens are going, and the assistant fire chief, his name's Al, he just sits there and shakes his head. I mean, why? Because it's fun. And I want people to hear us. I want people to see us. This is, the, this is the example of Pharisees. They see needy people. They see people in, in a problem. They see people who are, in, who are in need. And they sound the trumpet so that people around them see, hey, see me go meet this need. Because I mean, if we're real honest with one another, most of the time, what what we do when we give to somebody else out of a broken heart, what we're really saying is, "You need me." See, I'm going to meet your need because you need me. When our heart begins to be transformed into the likeness of Christ, our giving becomes completely different. So much so, we don't even want our left hand or our right hand knowing what they're doing because we have a genuineness about us. And we point people as followers of Jesus, as people who want to be obedient to Christ, we point them to Him. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to Your glory. To Your name be the glory. It's a different kind of giving. Different from what the world tells us to do. The fire truck sounds its siren says, look at us, we're going to meet a need. And I know it's for safety, safety reasons, they're trying to get there fast, they don't want to have any accidents, but still, when you hear the siren this week at some point, you're going to think, look at them, they're going to meet a need. And maybe you'll think about the Pharisees and their hypocrisy, and how they want to be praised by men, how they want the approval of their peers for the righteous acts that they're, that they're doing. We'll continue on in verse 2. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When I tooted the horn on the uh, fire truck, I received my reward. See me? I'm going. I'm going to meet a need. I'm going to do my best to meet it. And people waved and, yeah, get after it. You're doing a great job. And I received the reward that I was due. Verse 3 says this, But when you give to the needy, you being the people who belong to God, through Christ, you being the people who are living obediently to Christ and Christ alone, not seeking approval from men, but instead recognize the eternal value of Christ, the eternal reward of living with Him forever. But you, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's those things done in secret that really reveal your heart. When people aren't around, when they're not watching, you begin to recognize who you really are. You begin to understand what your heart really desires. Begin to see why you're in desperate need of a Savior to save you from the mess that you're actually in. 
And Christ is calling us to be different. Christ is calling us to be people who aren't about self-glorification, but instead are about glorifying the Father and the Father alone. I mean, we live in a me society. I mean, just this week, one of our famous NBA basketball stars was about to break a record or join a a few others in making 30,000 points in the NBA. What a feat. What an incredible task. And before the, the game began, when he could break that record, he put out a praise about himself. You've done a great job. You've been incredible this far. You're going to a place only a few have ever been. You're the youngest to ever do it this quickly. You're incredible. Keep up the great work. And then the day goes on and he plays the basketball game and sure enough, he makes the points and joins this elite group. And we, we think that's so awful. We, oh, it's a sign of the times. But heart is, a heart issue has been around since the garden. Since the garden have people been wanting to glorify themselves instead of the Father. I mean, since brokenness entered this world, we have been about me instead of about the Father. And so Christ, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, pointing us to God's character being revealed on, on the earth as it is in heaven, that God's will will be made known on earth as it is in, he- as it is in heaven. He's asking us to be obedient to him and to him alone. And stop seeking temporary praise from peers, from co-workers, from family. And instead, look to the eternal reward of Jesus. And how that outweighs everything else in this world. There's this old acrostic uh, for grace, the word grace. Which when we talk about giving, we talk about the character of God. Grace comes to mind, or should come to mind. And this old acrostic says this, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. I mean, here we have this incredible creator God, completely sovereign, completely just, abounding in love, always faithful, slow to anger, compassionate, merciful, more things than we could ever list about him. Abounding, rich in all these things. And he gives us grace, a character of God, a giver, the God who is a giver. And grace is found throughout all scripture because it is a characteristic of God. Let me read this to you. The nature of grace unfolds over biblical history. In its simplest expression, grace is evident whenever God feeds the hungry, grants rest to the weary, gives strength to the weak, provides family to an orphan, sends funds to the destitute, forgives a sinner, loves the unlovely, releases a slave, rescues the captive, and so forth. And in each of these, God provides a blessing people cannot provide for themselves. I mean, this is God, our grace-filled God. 
gives us these things. And so we, as people who belong to him, who want to be about his mission, who want to glorify him, we live obedient to him, and in doing so, our giving becomes different. Not so that we seek approval or praise of men, not so that we uh, are able to prove our righteousness, but instead we do this because of the nature of God, because he gave to us what we did not deserve. And because of that, we give back in obedience to him. See, God, in his grace-filled life, his perfect vision says, I don't need temporary praise because I have an eternal vision. And so we put that into practice. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. I don't need temporary praise. I don't need a trumpet to be sounded for when I give. I don't need a record of my righteous acts. But instead, I want to give like God so that he may be glorified. I want to not let my left hand and my right hand know what I'm doing because out of my own character, out of my own transformation into the likeness of Christ, it becomes a habit to give like God. Because the reality is this. Could you ever really do anything that your left hand and your right hand don't know that's happening? Only if it's a habit. My granddad was uh, just a few weeks from passing away. He sat and did this constantly, constantly with his hands. He's bored. He's ready to go home. Tired of waiting for the sickness to end and just did this constantly over and over and over again with his hands. Granddaddy, what are you doing there? What do you mean, what am I doing there? Well, your hands. What are you doing with your hands? I didn't even know I was doing that. I guess it's just a habit I formed. Being transformed in the likeness of Christ, those things begin to happen. And instead of your hands becoming idle, when we're being transformed in the likeness of Christ, God, break my heart. Let me not be me anymore. Our, begi- our giving becomes like Christ. Christ walked on this earth fully God and in that his character reflected that and he was grace filled and he was willing to give even when everyone else said oh it can't be done it can't be done he still gave what did he do? he fed the hungry he gave rest to the weary he gave strength to the weak he provided family to orphans he sent sent funds to the destitute he forgave sinners he loved the unlovely He released slaves. He rescued the captives. When we are transformed in the likeness of God through Jesus, our habits become different. We don't have to look for a place. Well, I'm just looking for a place to give. We have the eyes and the vision of Christ. And we give out of a righteous character because God is worthy of that. Proverbs 27, 2, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger not your own lips. See, God could very easily, and he has, by all means, at any moment, he could loudly proclaim who he is. Remember at the baptism of Jesus, Matthew 3, this is my son, a loud voice. He could easily do that. He could even use a whisper if, if he wanted to proclaim who he is. Remember in 1 First, First Kings 19. And he could do all these things without you or I. And that's how great he is. 
Yet he decides to act in the lives of those who belong to him. And let those who belong to him, those people then let others share about his incredible grace. When his son cried out from the cross, God could have easily and loudly answered back. He could have found a temporary solution to the issue there. But it would have only been temporary. It would only remove the pain for a moment. And God and Christ knew in their infinite wisdom, sin needs to be removed forever. And so Christ died on the cross and was buried and then resurrected, giving us life eternal. And those people who belong to him now put that into action. I give not because I want credit for it. I give not because I want the praise of men or praise of peers. I give not to prove my righteousness because I am not righteous apart from Christ. I give because Christ gave. We have to understand where and who our reward is. Christ is it. God is it. Adam and Eve didn't recognize it. Though they were in paradise, they still wanted glory for themselves. Does he really know everything? Will we really die if this happens? I didn't trust God. And yet God still in rebellion. Still, while these people are enemies, gave love, gave forgiveness, gave a way for sin to be removed. And he still does that today. Provided a way through Jesus. A way for you and I to, to have a relationship, a right relationship with God. He gives so much. Turn to Luke chapter 19. We'll end here together. Luke chapter 19. Just a few books over Matthew, Mark. Luke. Luke chapter 19. We'll start in verse 28 together. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, and on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought to Jesus, they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. The mighty works that Jesus had done. They began praising, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. It's interesting what happens here. You remember the hypocrites, the Pharisees, the religious rock stars who could prove their righteousness, who could prove how great they were? All of a sudden, this gentleman, who they think is just another man, this teacher who has a few followers, is being praised because of his mighty works, being praised as the blessed one who is the king, who comes in the name of the Lord, who peace and glory in, in heaven on earth is from. And glory is being taken away from these Pharisees. Attention is being removed from them. They're standing saying, praise us too, we'll walk. We'd like a parade also, give us a parade. Shout our names, see how great we are too. And the disciples began to recognize how great Jesus is, who he is. And they seek to praise him and him alone. And his answer is so great. Verse 40 says this, And he answered to these hypocrites or to these Pharisees, he answered them saying this, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I mean, even if the followers of Jesus were not to praise Christ for his godliness, for his righteousness, for his kingship, the stones would would begin to cry out because even the rocks recognize it. When we come to daily life and we wake up and we're presented the opportunity as people who belong to God to show our righteousness to the world, who's going to get the glory and honor for it? The Pharisees wanted to prove their righteousness so that they may be praised by men for their righteousness. Can I just tell you, you will always be outgiven. You will never give more than anybody else. Someone will always one-up you. It's the world that we live in. You, you think you pray excellent and you're the best prayer? Someone outprayed you. You think you fasted longer than anybody else? Someone will beat your record. You think 30,000 points is a lot of points? Someone will beat that. You seek in praise of people upon this earth, of peers, of other humans. Someone will always be greater than you. And the call of the disciple of Jesus is to recognize that there is one who's greater than you and then to live your entire life for that one, that he may have the parades, that he may have the celebrations, that he may receive the glory because he outweighs everything else in this world. So don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like people who are trying to prove your righteousness and get the praise of that, but instead have an eternal vision. Have eternity on your mind. Know where your righteousness comes from and give glory and honor to the one who it came from. Let's pray together. God, help us this morning to, at this moment, hear, hear clearly from you that we, we may glorify you. God, for those in this room this morning that unfortunately may be like me and deal with wanting to be praised and deal with wanting to be myself be glorified, God, help those like me 
to seek transformation from you, to be like King David and, and beg you for forgiveness, that our sins may be washed away. God, in this moment, would you help us to be willing to surrender to you, surrender our righteous acts, surrender our giving, surrender our prayer, surrender our fasting, surrender our will. And will you help us to do that? And for those that are struggling in that, God, because we have a, a lack of belief in you or, or a lack of trust in you, God, God, would you speak clearly to us with loud voice, with a whisper, through your word, through someone else, God, that we might might recognize that you are the only one worthy of glory. God, thank you for being a, a God who gives, who has always provided a way. God, thank you that though we were still with sin, just at the right time you sent us your Son so that we may be forgiven of our sins. God, what, a, what an incredible God you are to know me and yet still love me to see my rebellion and, and yet still show mercy to me. So God, help me and the others in this room to walk in obedience to you, recognizing how great you are. God, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Offer time.